literally last night I was texting with my my children have all moved out. My, my wife and I were, were just getting ready for bed. I'm like, oh, let's go to this uh, event together. And she's like, I'll text the kids. I text them. They said, we're all in. And now we're going uh, to this event. And I know we've done this before. It's going to be an amazing new memory. And that that's the way I think I want to live. I, I don't want to say to my kids on my deathbed, hey, there's a there's 100,000 pounds left for each of you. Like, I, I, no. Yeah. I'd rather say we had great experiences together in our in our lives. Welcome to the 1000 Day Sober Podcast. My name is Lee Davy. I am not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I am someone that doesn't drink alcohol. And I spend every waking moment of my life helping other people do the same. Like right now. How's it going, folks? I am coming to you live from South Korea. And I've been here uh, nearly two weeks now. I'm here until July 18th. I'm in here um, like mixing work, rest and play. Uh, one of my biggest challenges actually as a man is, uh, doing just that mixing work, rest and play. I find it very, very difficult, uh, very difficult. Um, wow, 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 wow. That balance of, uh, showing up for Jude, showing up for Zia, showing up for Liza, being together as a one unit, being together just with Liza, being on my own, allowing Liza to outside her own. It's so complicated and so difficult and so challenging and so rewarding at the same time. Um, and a big part of that is uh, why I'm talking to Mike Michalowicz today, really. You know, being a man, being the stereotypical breadwinner and all that baggage it comes with the societal conditioning of that um money um the accrual of it the keeping of it the investment of it the 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 use of it and how it shows up as a story in my life has always carried a negative connotation and if anything was going to drive me to drink worrying about money would drive me to drink if anything would drive me below the line and activate my parts, worrying about money would drive me below that line and activate me, activate my part. It's just something that I have inherent within me that has been there since growing up in a working class family that really couldn't get a lot, right? Like with, with no real good, solid, money training or philosophy or really good understanding about how to use the stuff. So it's uh, it's a thing that's dear to my heart. And I'll, I'll tell you this as well. Like, I actually think that money is the most stigmatized conversation in the world. I think it's more stigmatized than sex. I think it's more stigmatized than drugs, alcohol, anything. Uh, people are terrified to talk about it. <laughs> when I talk, when I simple things like me telling people how much money I earn freaks people out. Whoa, that's too private. You shouldn't be talking about that. Talking about debt and not having enough freaks people out. <laughs> you know, it's like you shouldn't talk about that stuff. Why? It's life, right? You know what I mean? Um, I, even when I did my elementum coaching training, which was six months of diving into the deepest shit ever talking about rape, 
trauma, sexual abuse, physical violence, anything and everything we talked about. One of the things that people just did not really go there that often was money. Everybody gave off this impression that everybody was doing really, really, really well financially, and I doubt everybody was. And it's um, it can it can lead to a lonely place, and f- and um, we should have more conversations about it. So uh, feel free to email me at the strive method at gmail.com and have a conversation with me about it because it's something that I really find that I get um, a lot of release. And um, it enables me to get from below the line, above the line, into a state of presence and curiosity and calm and clarity when I do talk about it. So that is why we got Mike Michalowicz on the podcast today, because his book, Profit First, was one of those books that I read that was like, wow, this could really help me out, especially because I'm a systems man. Like I, I'm always looking for a map on how to do things, and uh, Profit First really did that for me. And that's just one of a, uh, uh, um, a library full of great books that Mike's got on offer. But before we get to Mike... July 4th. July the 4th in uh, in America, 4th of July, is a day where a lot of people are going to consume a lot of alcohol. If you don't want to do that, um, you might want to join the Strive Challenge. So this is how we're going to do things here at Strive. You could join Strive and plow a lonely furrow and go through the Strive method on your own. You don't even have to join our community if you don't want to. Uh, you could just do that, and I am sure that the stride method in itself is powerful enough to help you become someone that doesn't drink alcohol, right? But there's nothing like doing it together with a group, all right? If you think about it, one of the reasons that we turn to alcohol is because we get lonely, it's because of our shame, it's because of our disconnection, disconnection our isolation, our low self-esteem. We are uh, hardwired for connection, for love, for intimacy to be seen, to be heard, to be witnessed, to be appreciated, Uh, to be respected. And, um, you know, that isn't always the case, right? That isn't always the case. There's a a group of us guys in Strive at the moment who who are, like, really struggling to be seen by their women. And I've worked with lots and lots and lots of women who are struggling to be seen by their men. It's a common thing. It's a common thing. So come to Strive and take on our challenges as a group. So we start in at the stuck phase learning the foundation of the Strive Method, learning the foundation of the invisible, violent, dominant belief system that I call alcoholism. And together you will do an assignment a day and you will comment in each other's assignments, peer group fashion. Our Strive support coaches will be in there to help you as well. We will have weekly Zoom meetings facilitated by the Strive support coaches, but you will be able to organize as many as you want using our platform Discord. You will... We get uh, two hot seat coaching sessions in that month with myself. And the plan is for you as a group to just get stuck in, have a lot of coaching, a lot of talking, a lot of deep work, but really interesting, absorbing stuff. And then come out the other end, 31 days actually, come out the other end, eager to go on and do the thought phase. That is starting 4th of July. I actually want to wrap things up and get uh, everybody... I want to get the numbers real nailed down by the weekend, you know, by Friday, this Wednesday today. So if you hear this before the 4th of July, 
send me an email at thestridemethod.gmail if you want to get involved, all right? Okay, so by his 35th birthday, Mike Michalowicz uh, has founded and sold two multi-million dollar companies. Confident that he had the formula to success, he became a small business angel investor and proceeded to lose his entire fortune. But then he started all over again, driven to find better ways to grow healthy, strong companies. Mike has devoted his life to the research and delivery of innovative, impactful entrepreneurial strategies to you. On mission to serve you, he has created perennially top-selling books, including The Pumpkin Plan, Clockwork, Physics Next, Get Different and Profit First. With over a million readers remaining on Amazon's best seller list after eight years, Mike is a popular main stage keynote speaker on innovative entrepreneurial topics, speaking to thousands of audience members. His latest book, Get Different, will give you the tools to stand out in any market. And Clockwork, his revised and expanded edition, is coming to you in August of this year. The book that we focused on in our little ditty, I got him for 30 minutes, was uh, Profit First and a little meandering uh, from both of us about what it means to be wealthy and addiction. And Mike once had his issues with alcohol. He isn't completely abstinent, but he's over that and in control of his uh, alcohol without alcohol controlling him. So well done on that, Mike. So without further ado, I'm going to shut the hell up and leave you in the capable hands of Mike Michalowicz. Mike, thank you. I know you're a very busy man. I love your book tree in the background. Tell me about your book tree. I love it. Yeah. So it's funny. This came about when I was writing my most recent book called Get Different around marketing experiments. And one of the core concepts in the book is you look at what the best practice or the established practices in the industry, and then you disrupt it. I noticed other authors all have bookshelves and they present their books, which makes sense, but it's unnoticeable because it's always a bookshelf. So I said, oh, what's atypical? And I started to change it. Now, the key is you don't have to change it radically, just subtle changes. And I got to the point of testing. I was like, wow, when it's a tree, people notice. I see in the chat, they're talking about it. So I doubled down. I got this. It's made out of wood. It kind of looks like metal, but this wood tree custom created for this corner space. And I, I swear, Lee, consistently people notice it. It's, yeah. it's not getting different. It's a very good idea. I like it. Um, Profit First is up there. That's the book that I wanted to talk to you about because it is the, it's the one that I've read. And in that book, you you touched upon your struggles with, um, I don't know if alcohol addiction is the right word or battle with how much you were drinking. I mean, let's not yeah. um, uh, go over the semantics, but I'd really like to, just if you could just express a little bit about that period of your life. And more importantly, how did you manage to then develop a healthy relationship with alcohol? So I'm very curious about that. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I've for my entire adult life drank and still drink, but, um, socially and occasionally, um, it's not something I feel compelled to. And I actually, when I'm by myself, I would actually, I can't think of a time I've done it except for this one period of my life. So just leading up to the circumstance, I, I grown some businesses and successfully sold them, uh, and was building my third business and thought I had the formula figured out. And honestly, I was, I was chock full of arrogance and, and ignorance. And the business collapsed because I hadn't really no clue what I was doing in this space. And I lost all my money. And what I realize now in retrospect, I didn't know it then, but it was a major identity crisis for me. I saw myself as a successful entrepreneur. My definition at that time of success was wealth, uh, prestige, if you will. Um, I have a totally new definition of it now. Uh, but when that collapsed, uh, I lost my my home. 
I lost my possessions, my, my family. Uh, we lost everything. The only thing I didn't lose was my family. Mm. And uh, I went into depression. Again, this is all in retrospect. I realized it. I didn't I really appreciate it then. I just thought I was just down. Um, yeah. I should have gotten therapy at the time. I didn't. I do now. And um, what I started to do was to start to drink. I was like, oh, when I have some booze flowing through me, um, it kind of deadens the pain. It doesn't feel as bad. Of course, I crap. I sleep a crap night. I wouldn't sleep, and I'd wake up feeling kind of beleaguered. But I found if I did this regularly, uh, it kind of mollified the pain. Now, I wouldn't say I was waking up every day, and, and it wasn't drinking during the day or anything. But this is I was, I was looking forward to kind of finishing the afternoon by throwing back a margarita or something. Um, and I realized at a certain point, pretty quickly on, maybe three or four months into, it, like, oh, this is actually a really bad habit I'm establishing here. This is really not a way of effectively dealing with what I'm doing. And, and I did find a solution, a much healthier solution to navigating through depression. Hmm. Uh, and that's what I've used going forward. So with you exploring the healthier way to navigate depression, the reliance on alcohol as, I guess, um, a tool to fill an unmet need was no longer there. So you was able to enjoy it in a healthy way because you had your needs met through different ways. Is that what we're talking about? I mean, that's essentially, that's essentially it. Like my mm. wife and I, we like to have a glass of wine together. We're, we're going to do a trip through Napa Valley for our wedding anniversary that's coming up. And I really look forward to it. For me, that's a social experience. Back then, that was the only time in my life where it was a form of pain relief. Uh, it was a, a, a means to the end. It wasn't about the social component, um, but it was something to fix temporarily a problem, which obviously results in more problems. But I, you know, I was as clueless to it. What I found, and it's uh, for me, it's it's crazily effective and it's so simple, was to start journaling. Um, it's a guy's word for diary, to be honest. But <laughs> what I started doing was maintaining a diary. But but this is the key. A friend of mine came to me and said, don't write down like your successes and wins unless you feel compelled to. That's what we're all told. He goes, just write down your emotion, whatever you're feeling in the moment. And by maintaining this journal, I realized, because I could now verbalize it in, in a written form, how angry I was at myself, how I was blaming others for the problems in my business. And it was all mine, but I had to at least go through that process. I was blaming God. You know, I, I, I was pointing the finger everywhere. But yeah. here's what was interesting. Even when I was pointing the finger at other things and other people and saying they're the problem, um, it did give me temporary relief. It was an outlet. I, I now consider it the cheapest form of therapy. I was able just to release my vitriol that I had toward the world because of my identity crisis. And sometimes it'd be like five seconds of relief just for a second. I was like, at least I got that out. Or sometimes five minutes or sometimes hours or days. And during that time, I could get clarity and start focusing forward on improving my business. Yeah. And um, that has become now a process in my life. I, I don't, I haven't journaled in a while because I just don't feel a, a compulsion to it. But the second I start feeling an emotion, I go right back to it. Sometimes joyous, sometimes angry, but it just relieves that emotion and allows me to focus forward again. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's really important. I, like something that I teach my clients is 
is uh, get that get that balance right between taking 100% responsibility for the output of your life, right? So right. we're not we're not going to look outside of ourselves. We're going to always look within and we can always find something that we can tweak, test or polish. But then it is perfectly okay to find yourself a tree in the middle of the woods or in the corner of your room if you if you're <laughs> right. Mike. Um and then just and then I say to the tree, "Hey, do you mind if I consciously complain about my wife a minute?" And then right. And then the tree, trees are good. Trees will just be like, yeah, go for it. And then just really <laughs> let rip at this tree. My wife is this, my wife is that. I blame her for this and that. Or my business is this. And then when you've got it all out, a little bit of a rejuvenation practice, pour some love out to your wife, pour some love out to whoever you've been complaining about. And then it's complete. Like it, we're emotional beings, Mike, and we? It's supposed to come out. It's not supposed to stay in there, right? Amen. Amen to that, Lee. And uh, it was interesting. I was just at an event with other entrepreneurs and uh, there was a coach there, uh, borderline psychologist, but he used this exact process. He demonstrated in front of the group. There was a hundred of us in the room and one entrepreneur went up and I, I won't mention this person's name because they are pretty well recognized. Like you probably know the company and what he mm-hmm. owns, but he goes up and uh, the coach says, Hey, tell me about a challenge you're facing right now that you're, you're frustrated with. And he was having conflict with his wife. Basically, they have a daughter and how they handled the daughter. And what was interesting, he said, well, tell me all the things your wife should be doing, all the feelings you have about her. So it, it wasn't about tempering his emotion. It wasn't about saying, uh, what could I fix in myself? It was all about just letting out his raw, was it the id or, or ego, the raw base emotion, yeah. just to put it on the table. Well, she should have done this. She, 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 she should, she should. Yeah. He said, okay, what we're going to do now that we know all the things she should have done from your perspective, let's do a flip process. Let's say those exact words and just put the word instead of she, I in there. So yeah. he said, um, like, she should have been more disciplinary of the my daughter. And then he said, well, let's flip it. I should be more disciplinary of my daughter. And he goes, then tell me, how do you go about uh, that statement and make it a truth? What could you have done? Yeah. And what was interesting, and there was more to the process, but first by laying all on the table, th- there was nothing else to, to combat. Now it was all about this reflective state. And at the end, um, he saw himself as a participant in this and that he could change some behaviors that would, would serve him better. I think by yelling at that tree, I at least get everything out so there's nothing left on the table. And now I can say, what can I do self-reflectively to improve myself to see the a different perspective of the situation and and to heal myself. Yeah, it's that it's that profound mirror. So like it's like whenever you find that you're you're angry or you are turned off or you are frustrated or disgusted by something that someone's doing, it's generally because you're doing it somewhere in your life or you have done it and you're disgusted at yourself, but you just haven't kind of like dealt with it. You just you're just projecting it onto that other person, right? It is so it is so yeah. true. Um it's funny. I notice, like when I'm driving and someone like cuts me off or, or someone does something which I could take offense to, I would say 80% of the time doesn't phase me because the story that comes to me is, oh, um, they may be having a bad day. They may be in a rush. Maybe, maybe the circumstances they have to get home quickly because a loved one's sick. I would do the same yeah. thing. Yeah. But admittedly, 20% of the time, if I'm having something else on the day that's going wrong, I notice, oh my gosh, I get it. The, the story I put into them is, oh, they're jerks. They're just trying to get ahead. You know, they're, they're taking advantage of me. And then I'm like giving them the, the finger or something. So it's interesting is if there's a little bit of wound, 
everything else becomes salt to it. I think we have to go back and, and figure out what that little or big wound is and heal it. Mm. And, and let's touch upon those wounds because I'll, I'll describe to the people listening about the profit first philosophy in the intro, right? Just to yeah. save a, another bit of time. But what are the biggest issues that you've been seeing? Probably a very experienced man, but that the patterns, maybe something recently, or maybe the patterns have always been the same. What are people suffering with? What are the wounds when it comes to financial issues? Well, financial issue is the, probably the biggest wound is identity crisis. So what, what happens is entrepreneurs specifically have a vision for ourselves. I, I do too. And for most entrepreneurs that I've met and worked with, they have a definition of financial freedom. Financial freedom being, I don't want to or plan to ever worry about bills. When I want to acquire something or experience something that costs money, I have the money available. It's something I don't worry about. But then there's this polar opposite experience. They start a business with a dream of financial freedom, but the reality of a form of financial poverty, where, where every penny that comes in is actually going out. And so they have this, this gap, this anxiety. They, they type their identity to success or they're failing to fulfill it. And then it becomes really, um, really kind of poisonous to their perception of themselves. Sadly, I think it's also perpetuated in the, the, the sphere of entrepreneurs, the you know, media magazines and so forth. God forbid you scroll Facebook and you see these successful people um, who seem to have the thing that you should have. And they seem um, to just be one step ahead of you. And if you just got, if you just understood what they're doing, everything be fixed. But I, I, that's never, or at least very rarely the, the reality. So I think there's a frustration then that we try to do things, but we don't see the results. The, the interesting thing, and I think the solution I teach them profit first. It's it's really simple. Profit first is not something you build toward. I mean, profit is not something you build toward. Profit is not an event. Profit is a habit. We bake into every transaction, every day, every hour, anything you do in your business. A small piece of profit is always being accumulated, and it brings about financial independence. Hmm. But here's the most interesting part, Lee, is speaking with entrepreneurs. The day they implement this system, and, and there's other flavors of this, but the day they implement profit first. There's this instant confidence they have is unbelievable. It's not actually acquiring that money or having gobs of money that brings about confidence. It's the ability to control the money where you're back in control. And uh, that seems to mollify a lot of the anxiety people have around profitability. I've been working with Lee Davey for the last three months on my sober journey. And he is truly a coach master and thoroughly qualified in um, all areas. Lee is the kind of person that um, never gives up on someone and will work tirelessly to support you to achieve your goals. Um, I would thoroughly, thoroughly recommend him to anyone. I want to share with you... um a wound that I have. <laughs> you let me know if you've seen this one come up in particular. So I read Profit First, and I, and I would put I would put Profit First up there as as in in a in a, in a category of life changing books. Oh, thank you. I, I was I was actually introduced to it through the Elementum Coaching Institute. So it's a coaching institute with um, Alexi Panos, Preston Smiles, Christine Haslin, Stefanos Stefanos, and Alexi Panos is a big big proponent. She t- and she teaches your um, uh, profit first philosophy in, in the money side of things, right? Um, 
So for me, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this, right? I, I did it all wrong, and I'm still in the middle of fixing it, right? But I, I did it all wrong. But I was kind of like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna um, give myself my profit first, and then, I, then I realized, okay, I'm left with this amount of money, um, and then I, I found my wound. So my, my wound was, okay, so what Mike is actually saying here is, be really clear on how much, um, how much money I. I actually have here in my expenses part. Like, what is my, yeah. what are my expenses? Well, yeah. yeah. And all of a sudden, it was kind of like, oh no, how can I tell my wife that she only has X amount of money for this? How can I tell my wife she can't cut her hair? How can I yeah. tell my wife that my daughter can't go to ballet class? Yeah. And then I realized my wound was codependency. And the reason that I was in so much debt and I had this story, I, I, I didn't know how to put those boundaries in place and have a grown-up conversation around finances with a woman because I felt emasculated. Yeah. Interesting. So uh, that, that's not too uncommon. Um, but I will tell you a little surprising secret I found about myself. When I implemented Profit First uh, 15 years ago for myself, similar experience that uh, take your Profit First and you see truly what's available. So you're reverse engineering profit see what's available to operate your business and translates to our lives because as entrepreneurs, our lives are integrated. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, I have to tell my wife the same thing. Can't spend so much. Can't send our, our daughter to horseback riding lessons. But what I really found out, and this was the most embarrassing thing, I was the biggest spender. I, I thought my wife was. I thought the support for the, the family, our children, I thought their activities were. It was actually me. And what right. it was me is I was hiding it by making purchases for the business. So... That I couldn't get a big screen television at home. We didn't have the money for it, but I could justify it in the business because we needed it as a monitor and display system. And so I was actually had these desires I wanted for myself by doing the spend in the business. Mm. So it was eye-opening because I was, I was convinced I wasn't the problem, which is another form of identity crisis I was going through. But when I implemented this, then I got real, real, really real about, oh, if I shift my behavior and spending here, it frees up things. Now, the other thing too, is we implemented Prop First at our house and it changed the perspective for my wife and I too, in how much money is available to do things. Um, and we, we both curtailed our spending. Interestingly, the experience in life hasn't shifted. Like as we spent less, uh, it wasn't like life was less fulfilling. It wasn't like there was less activities. We just, it became the norm. I would dare say things were just as good as ever, if not if not better, as we control our cash flow. The other interesting thing too is um, over time, as profits accumulate and so forth, we've been in the position of giving like we never have before. And yeah. so there's things that touch my heart, my wife's heart, and we want to be of service. And in the past, if we can make a $10 donation or do something, that felt like a stretch because our, we're living check by check. But now we have the freedom to do really impactful things uh, for communities that, that are important to us. And that actually, in some cases, gives us the biggest joy to, to make, make transformational change because we have the availability to, availability, availability to do it when those opportunities present themselves. Mm, I, I, I like that. I, it makes me think of the masculine feminine dynamics. So, you know, there's, there's a real masculine element to the book of do energy, of organization, of systemization, <laughs> right, right. right? And I kind of love that shit, right? Like, I, I honestly, I could go down the rabbit hole, black hole of like creating accounts, moving all my money around, and and I, I feel quite fulfilled. Like, it, it's, it's busy work, and, and I like and I like doing it. Yeah. Um, but like you, I, 
I realized when I applied Profit First to my business that I wasn't running my limited company as a limited company. That, that there was that there was there was no boundary between the limited company and my personal expenses, which got yeah, me right. got me into a right mess. Um, and then and then when I then look at uh, Profit First for your family. You know, for for example, the profit for me, the the profit side of it when I applied it to my family was this is the money we're going to save, or this is the money we're going to put in cryptocurrency or something like that. Yeah. Um. What I what I found when I was um when I was looking at that was I got caught between this do 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 spreadsheets. This is how much money I I have or I don't feel I have. Um. Versus. Okay, so these self help books are saying that we need to have this mindset of being rich and being wealthy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I found that the creative feminine energy really helped me there. So I'll give you an example. Right now, yeah, I'm in I'm in a house in Bristol, which is uh, uh, it's like a six hundred fifty thousand pound house. I couldn't afford this house. Wow. Um, yeah. And we're looking after a dog, and and when it's rent free, we haven't paid wow. rent for th- we haven't paid rent for three months because we're traveling around looking after people's animals. So I feel wealthy here. I feel prosperous here. Um, and I did that through creatively looking at ways of being able to stay at wealthy houses without paying any money. So, so there are ways of doing it, Mike, aren't there? You've just, you've just got to get out of that drama, that victim, that poor me mindset and find a way of making things work. Yeah, at the end of the day, I think, uh, I think all we really value is the way we perceived and, memor- and our memory of those things. You know, it's, it's in reflection. Uh, my wife and I, we talked about one of our favorite vacations and I, I actually honestly don't remember how much it cost, but I know it was not an expensive vacation. It was one of our favorites because the memories and, and the moments we had out there and what we did with our children and all those different things. I think ultimately our value is, is really that because that, that does form our identity. Uh, mm-hmm. Looking back on our lives, we, we identify with what we did as who we are and uh, access to these things that we think will give us joy um, doesn't necessarily need money to get there. Just like what you're doing. Hmm. Um, it was funny. I, I was just reading a book recently, which actually I, I didn't like the book that much, but I, it, but I've been thinking about it. So maybe I do like it. it it's called die with zero. And uh-huh. I, I know him. I know him. Um, oh, you know it. Okay. So, yeah. so I just read it and um, I didn't like certain parts because well, whatever. I had my reason not to like certain parts, but but there was the overarching theme that that resonated with me was instead of accumulating wealth and having all this money to brag about a number, which is a very egocentric thing. Mm. Share experience, have experiences that you look back upon favorably, and if you have wealth, uh, maybe you can use that money to facilitate experiences with family or other things. But but use it now for experience. And I was thinking, oh, if you don't have the money, there's still a means. Like what you're doing, you still have access. Yeah. Is and the the end result is identical. It, it's accumulating memories that are significant to us. So that book has resonated with me, and um, it, it's kind of leaning to my philosophy to pursue experiences. Literally last night, I was texting with my my children have all moved out. My my wife and I were, were just getting ready for bed. I was like, oh, let's go to this uh, event together. And she's like, I'll oh, text the kids. I text them. They said we're all in. And now we're going uh, to this event. And I know as we've done this before, it's going to be an amazing new memory. And th- that, that's the way I think I want to live. I, I don't want to say to my kids on my deathbed, hey, there's a there's hundred thousand pounds left for each of you. Like I, I no. Yeah, I'd rather yeah. say we had great experiences together in our in our lives. 
Well, Bill, Bill Perky, I know Bill because I, I work in the poker circuit and Bill pays high stakes poker. So I've, I know him personally and I played a lot, um, I played, interviewed him a lot of times on the circuit. And when, when, when I read that book, actually, you might tell me off here, Mike, but when I read that book, I was, I was, I, I was struck by, okay, sometimes Lee, you've got to take risks and sometimes you just got to have these experiences, right? Because my, I remember buying a Bang & Olsen stereo for 8,000 pounds when I was 22, yeah. right? Because I got it on credit, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, right. right. And it took me years, so long to pay it off and everyone thought I was an idiot, but I enjoyed the shit out of that thing every <laughs> single yeah. day. And do I care about it right now? I'm 47 that I had that debt at that time. No, right? So I just said to my, my sister, my sister-in-law, she wanted to go to Korea, and but she didn't have the money. And I said, "Well, do you could you take out a credit card that wouldn't hurt you, or refinance, or do something that wouldn't hurt you that much that you could manage?" And she's like, "Yeah, I could do something." I said, "Well, why don't you just throw caution to win? It's never going to happen again. Your kids are going to be too old. Just go for it." And they did. And then they asked me to come, and I was like, "Shit, I ain't got the money, but I got to do it as well now because I'm in the same spot." So we're all going to <laughs> there. You go. We're all going to Korea for the month in June. And we're taking a risk and we're making it happen, right? Like, you know, sometimes I, I, I think that that's really important because the memory. Yeah, I, I agree. The memory is huge. You know, there's a balance here, I feel, but it's hard to strike the chord. Say, I never wish this upon you or anyone, Lee, but say you uh, have a terminal illness that you find yeah. out the day you get back and they say you have five months to live. Yeah. I think you'll be celebrating that experience with your sister and your family at the highest level. Yeah. Thank God we did it. Now, here's the flip side. Say you come back and uh, there's no health issues. You're going to live to 120 um, and uh, you now are laden with debt and it impacts your future. You, 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 you can't do something in the future. You have creditors calling you all the time. Like there's this flip side. So how I navigate it is uh, I maintain no, no debt. I, I mm-hmm. lived with debt. I maintain no debt, but I accumulate a cash call account. So I have this at home, you know, over, listen, in the beginning when I started this, it was like five or six pounds. It was like nothing. I, I could barely get a hamburger for it. But um, now it's, it's to the point where if we want to do something flippantly, that's yeah. our credit line. I can go to myself and say, let's just do this and we can explore. And then I'll pay myself back over time. And that's become my mechanism. Then I have no guilt. And I also realize now that um, I can do it. So if I do die tomorrow, I did it. I don't die tomorrow. I'm not going to be laden with the burden of regret because I couldn't really afford it. So that's how I navigate it. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's like, okay, if we're going to go to Korea for a month, every month, then you know, that's a codependent. Um, it's an unhealthy practice, but if you yeah. pull in one out of the bag once in a blue moon, cause it's like, uh, it's really important to go do that and have that experience. Yeah. Okay. We'll make that happen. You know? So yeah. I think that's, I think that's really important. Yeah. And to, and to your point, I'm just thinking, I, I know of circumstances in the past. And I, I one of my biggest regrets is uh, a very close friend of mine was getting married. Uh, he invited me to the wedding, of course. And uh, it was too expensive for me to go. I could have used credit cards. I could have gone. It actually became an excuse. Like, you know what? It's going to be a little bit inconvenient anyway. Let me skip out. And I, I beat myself up by missing Greg's wedding because mm. there could have been a way for me to afford it. And I chose not to. And so there is this balance. Yeah, like, yeah. And, and listen, I, I know people who have achieved such extraordinary wealth. I, I can't even calculate it. Hundreds of millions of pounds. And, and 
they are so concerned about losing it that they're living a constrained life. Well, that's a disaster too. That's not wealth, you know, uh-huh. that's paranoia. So there's gotta be a balance and it's gotta be, I think, true for all of us. I just know that I never want to go into identity crisis again. I never want to uh, be in depression again. And listen, I'll go through depressive periods, but I never want to be anchored there. And I'll never use alcohol as a solution for that. Uh, I will use therapy as a solution. I use journaling as a solution, but I'll never go back to that. And for me, I just have to find, I think we all have our own recipe. I'm just, I think right now the recipe I have for myself of no debt, but a cash pile to act like a bank, a credit line to myself is serving me in a great way. Yeah. I, I had a profound moment the other day where I was going through this. I still do it now. It's like my morning practice. I I'll, I'll journal and I'll say, I am a man who is wealthy. I am a man who is financially free. I am a man who has, is, has no debt, et cetera, et cetera. And I'll drop my head and then I'll just feel about wealthy. I'll picture mm. myself wealthy and I'll say the words and feel those feelings. And do you know what? I realized in that moment that wealth to me um, was about how I feel. And, and I can feel those things now mm. without the material wealth. And that was absolutely profound for me because I was like, wow, okay, I'm wealthy already. I don't need a Tesla. I don't need a seven-figure house, which are all in my, you know, I, dear God, this is what I kind of want. Yeah, for yeah. me, wealth is how I feel. So I control my, uh, my angst and my wounding and everything around finances because it's my thoughts around it that is driving me crazy, not necessarily my bank sheet, right? Like I could, yeah. I could be in debt and have a really great attitude towards it or have a real shitty attitude towards it. So what's wealth for you, Mike? So wealth for me is um, experience. So it's interesting, but the little tweak I have is instead of saying, I want a Tesla, I will say I want to experience a Tesla. And maybe I want to experience like a Tesla that. for five months or whatever. But by doing that framing, the accessibility becomes different. It's not mm. always a monetary transaction. There's other forms of currency and experiences and transactions that can happen to acquire that experience. Yeah. So that's part of it. But ultimately to me, true wealth, as I define it, is, is a self-confidence where I feel free and unrestricted. Uh, that I can be uh, expressive of myself, that um, I have a love for my family and a love for myself, in that I feel um, unafraid and, uh, and then criticism doesn't, doesn't bruise me. I, I think those are all signs of wealth. That it is an internal perception. I think a common measurement that so many folks use is money. And I think that's great, but it's only a part of it. Because mm-hmm. I've been exposed to people have, you know, uncalculable wealth in a financial aspect and are, are not living all those other elements of wealth. So I really do now find wealth is holistic, which is radically different. It maybe it comes with age. I'm 50 years old now. When I was 20, greed is good, man. I, all I wanted money, <laughs> I, wanted that I wanted that big house. Yeah. And uh, I just wanted accumulation. But I also realized when I had those things that it became about showing off my trophies. I wanted to show I had the nicest car. I wanted to show the nicest house that I felt my worth was in what other people saw in my accumulation of stuff. And then when I realized, oh my God, worth is really how I perceive myself. Mm. Worth is about the experiences I define for myself and that it doesn't really matter at all what other people think. That's when I think I started becoming wealthy in, in my definition of it. 
Yeah, I, I, I concur with that. I, I, I think I'm a wealthy man, Mike. I think if I was I a, a, a multi-millionaire tomorrow, the way that I think and feel about myself wouldn't change. It'd be nice to have all those things, but it's to work on myself and the groundedness and being more in self-energy, not necessarily having everything that I want. Um, we're up to our time, Mike. It's been great. It's been quick. Fish, bash, bosh. What are you up to? What are you doing? What do you want people to know? Oh, well, thank you, Lee. If if you want to learn more about me, uh, I, I write, I'm an author. I write many books, books about small business. The website to go to is mikemichalowitz.com. But I will give you a shortcut because no one can spell Michalowitz. You can go to <laughs> mikemotorbike.com. Mike Motorbike, as in the motorcycle, it rhymes. It's a nickname I had in grade school. It was the only G-rated nickname I had in high school. So mikemotorbike.com. And uh, you'll see the books I do. There's, of course, free resources. You can download parts of the books for free too and uh, experience my work there. Awesome stuff, Mike. Well, thank you. Profit First is the only one I've read. I'll dig into the rest of them. It was really a life-changing book for me, like I said. And thank you for the work you're doing. It's really important. Thank you, brother.